You are listening to the Mythical Jesus Podcast, taking the Christ of faith seriously. A podcast that dives into faith development, cognitive development, using Jesus as the framework for that. We dive deep into the Jesus of the New Testament, showing him as the preeminent example of development and what that development looks like. Buckle your seatbelts. Sit back, enjoy the ride. This is going to be a lot of fun because diving into the Jesus narrative has never been done like this before. You can visit our website at christoffaith.org. On the site, you will find tools, resources, documents to help you in your faith development and to better understand Jesus, the teacher, and his role in that. And now, on to what you've been waiting to hear. Come thou found of every Bill Real here, the host of the Mythical Jesus podcast. Grateful that you've uh, decided to sit down with us. Join us again for another episode. Again, we're back in Mark. We are going to be uh, in chapter um, 2 and verses 23 to 28. And just maybe a few more little things from last time. Last time we talked about how Jesus' disciples, they weren't fasting. And People perceiving John and his disciples, perceiving the Pharisees, came to Jesus and asked, why are you not fasting? And Jesus seems to answer the question strangely with these parables of new cloth as a patch for an old uh, outfit or new wine in an old wineskin. And we talked a lot about what that means when you have those who are adapting to the world as it changes and placed into the same spiritual space as those who are rigid. And maybe just a note here before we go to this today's uh, content, just just to kind of hit on that. In faith development, most people get uncomfortable with another person when that other person is one stage of development in front of or behind them. For the person at an earlier stage, they will see those ahead of them as having lost their way and fallen. One solidly inside the tribe will see their doubts and questions of orthodoxy as a contentious spirit, one who seems to be weakening and following the gospel path. In other words, those who have set their beliefs in stone and said, look, this is the way things are and I know it's true. And then suddenly you have these other people who are moving and they're fluid and they're asking questions and they're adapting to new information in the world. The rigid group is going to look at this these fluid folks and they're going to perceive them as dangerous. They're going to perceive them as a threat. They're going to consider their questions and their doubts and their conversations to indicate some kind of loss or some kind of falling away when the reality is that those folks are growing. In the meantime, those who are fluid, those who are adapting, those who are growing are going to look at the folks who are rigid and, and have a lot of disappointment. And, and they're going to feel like they're being pushed out. And so it's really hard to navigate this. They will want to rein their loved one in, right? The rigid one's going to want to take the fluid person and say like, you got to fix this. You're having some kind of midlife crisis or faith crisis or something's going on here that's not right. I want to help you fix this. 
They will want to police the tribe's boundaries and show the one who's shifting that their shifting falls outside the rules in the lines of demarcation within this religious system. For the one shifting, they're going to want to bring their loved one along, like, hey, grow with me. But one is old wineskin and the other is new wine. The person shifting can never go back. Once the fracture has happened, there is no putting the toothpaste back in the tube or the new wine back in the old wineskin. For the person who is solidly in ethnocentricity, there is little that can be done to move them from that ground in a way that would be healthy. In other words, when you go to someone who's rigid, you can't grab them by the arm and yank them to where you're at. You will deeply um, rattle their paradigm. You will make their foundation shaky and that almost never goes well. Once the fracture has happened, there's no putting the toothpaste back in the tube. There's no magic words, there's no story or analogy that will move them from their binary thinking, from their outer authorities. 80% of the population, by the way, stays in this lower stage of development, and any effort to push them from that ground almost always ends with hurt and distrust, and if by chance the person does shift from this ground due to the pushing by another, their premature movement occurs before they have been prepared and before they were ready to do so in a healthy way. So new wine and old wineskins will almost never coexist together. So I want to get that out of the way. And I wanted you to, to think about that in another way, what we talked about last week. Now we're moving on to Mark 2, verse 23 through 28. Verse 23, one Sabbath day as Jesus was walking through some grain fields, his disciples begin breaking off heads of grain to eat. So we're going to stop here for just a second and recognize what's going on. It's the Sabbath day. It is the holy day. There are rules surrounding this. Now we don't know if this grain field is just an open grain field, public land, whatever, or if this grain field is is the livelihood of someone else. If it is, we're, we're also talking about perhaps being unethical in a way. If you are to take the produce that someone else is producing to make their livelihood without asking them, in a sense, we are stealing. Now, this may just be an open field, and so we'll assume with that premise, but at least recognize like there may be going on, more going on here. But at the very least, there's the recognition that we have rules inside our tribe, and those rules include this certain day of the week, which is to be uh, treated differently than other days. And on this day of the week, there's certain kinds of work that we don't do. So Jesus' disciples are walking through this grain field and they're breaking off the heads of this grain to eat because they're hungry and they're looking for something to snack on. But what they're doing is breaking the Sabbath in some real way to these Pharisees. And they're looking for ways to criticize this Jesus. But the Pharisee said to Jesus, look, why are they breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? Now, note here, it becomes obvious that Jesus is not breaking off the grains and eating them. They're not asking Jesus why he and his disciples are doing this thing. They're asking why his disciples are doing this thing. 
And so this is one of those moments in the New Testament narrative where we, where we can kind of glean from the story that Jesus somehow recognizes his position and recognizes that that wouldn't be appropriate to do. And so he's not doing it. He's not participating in this eating of the grain. He's not breaking the Sabbath. So he doesn't need to explain himself. And, and while he allows his disciples to do so without any condemnation from him, he seems to recognize like, yeah, these guys don't get all these things. And so I'm not going to step in and condemn them or impose that they stop it. But as these Pharisees are watching Jesus and his disciples make their way through the field, and Jesus is not partaking of these grains, but his disciples are, they take their question to Jesus. Why are they breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? Jesus said to them, haven't you ever read in the scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God during the days when Abathar was the high priest and broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests are allowed to eat. He also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of the people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of the people and the people not made to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. For those in ethnocentricity, the rules are there to beat people with, to use as a stick, to punish them into obedience. These are the rules, and if we are to get to heaven, we have to follow these rules. This is how God will measure us. It's also how one in ethnocentricity measures themselves against the tribe. Like, am I fulfilling my requirements? Am I a good member of this tribe? Am I checking the boxes that this tribe has established? It's how we those of us in ethnocentricity measure ourselves to see if we're doing what we need to do. The rules are there to set a standard for who gets into heaven and who doesn't. Rules are absolutely needed to provide the safety and security that keeps all of us at ease. It's what makes us comfortable. If I'm keeping the rules, I'm comfortable. And if I'm breaking the rules, I'm uncomfortable. One in ethnocentricity needs rules and could not govern themselves without them. They sense that without the rules, their world and the world of all others would be in chaos. There is a developmental... Uh, there's a pastor who's really big on this development. His name's John Pauline. And there's a document out, out there. It's on the website, by the way. If you go to christoffaith.org, go to the uh, resources link in the header menu. 
and you'll see there's the stages of faith by John Pauline. John says this, he says, if they, and he's talking about those in ethnocentricity, if they have been taught one particular perspective by an influential teacher or mentor, they may conclude that their teacher's way is the only way to think or act. They may feel that everybody needs to do things that way. They may even be inclined to punish offenders if they are in a position to do so. And worst of all, they cannot see their own rigidity. They see things in terms of black and white, us against them. They feel right and strong, while other perspectives are wrong and weak. Every spiritual community has members that see things in this way. John Pauline. And, and then beyond that, John also says believers can become very legalistic and judgmental. Their lives can be governed by should or ought or must, and they can be quite frustrated with believers who don't see things quite the way they do. If they don't grow out of their initial inflexibility and simplicity of thought, they can become rigid in their approach to faith. So rules are seen in this stage as keeping people safe. The commandments are to be followed to the letter of the law and folks in the stage decide what that means to keep the commandments, such as here in the scriptures, this story of keeping the Sabbath day holy. You can see here in verse 24, where the Pharisees asked Jesus, Lord, why are they breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? You can see the Pharisees are big on rules. That these rules are important to them. Moses comes off the mount with 10 commandments and before too long that easily becomes 613 rules and commandments as found in the Torah. 613 rules. And with those comes little side rules and protocols and policies and procedures for governing others with the law, with these 613 rules. Without being rules and laws, there would be chaos, they say. Generally speaking, they are right. Those in lower stages of development truly may need rules and almost always do. But for the few who move into later stages, they sense a growing morality within them. They can truly govern themselves, and they do. No longer being in a binary paradigm, they grasp that there are exceptions to rules every day, and they have no hesitation handling those exceptions with wisdom and with focus. Where the Pharisees see a rule to be rigidly defined and defended, Jesus sees instead what is truly right and wrong and perceives that exceptions to those rules abound all around him. And regarding this extrinsic locus of authority, the faithful level person is always at risk. Descending into chaos without externally imposed rules. Thus, rather than the authority of personal conscience, the faithful person, one in ethnocentricity is what I'm talking about, that person must subject himself to an oracle authority, in most cases provided by his religious institution, 
taking literal guidance from literal scripture and the literal words of God and religious authorities. When one is in ethnocentricity, the rules are important and the authorities of our tribe are the ones who give the rules. But like Jesus, when people move out of that, they recognize deeply within themselves a strength of character, a real morality that comes from inside of them, not from the pages of a book or the words of a prayer or a sermon. And at that point, that person begins to relinquish that outside authority in their tribe, and they slowly move into listening to other authorities of other tribes, and eventually they move into resting deeply that authority within themselves. So when Jesus walks through the field, while he doesn't break the rules, he has no problem with his disciples doing so because they're hungry and we all need to eat And as they're traveling, it seems like a no-brainer, like this is an easy way to get the nourishment we need. So no biggie here. But for those who are still extrinsic authority-based, for those who are still inside the tribe deeply with the rigidity of rules and laws and commandments, to see another person in the tribe break the tribe's rules threatens us. It calls us to call them to account and to repent. But such is not the way of Jesus. This has been the Mythical Jesus podcast. Please consider donating today at christoffaith.org. Help this podcast Continue deep into the future. Become a recurring donator today at ChristofFaith.org. C-H-R-I-S-T-O-F-F-A-I-T-H dot O-R-G. I'm your host, Bill Real. See you next time. Come thou fount of every blessing Tune my heart to sing thy grace Streams of mercy never ceasing